Welcome to Help from Future Self. Hey, what's happening, Archons? Welcome to another episode of Help from Future Self. It's a conversational KeyForge podcast by and for KeyForge pals the world over. My name is Scuzzy Gruen. Some folks call me Alex, but Scuzzy's A-OK by me. And I am joined this week, as always, by my coach, my constant KeyForge companion, the guy that I play an awful lot of KeyForge with, including the new set Mass Mutations. It's Coach Boulevard Paper Fight. What's happening, Blake? Hey, man. How's it going? And we are joined by a first-time guest to help from Future Self. It is Richmond Vault Tour winner and one half of the absolutely astonishing Tabletop Royale. We got Nathan Starwall with us. Welcome to the show, Nathan. Thanks for having me on, guys. It's, uh, it's good to be here. I've always enjoyed your podcast, uh, so I'm glad to actually contribute to it. Yeah, it's great to have you here. You've been uh, such a good supporter, I think, of all of our endeavors, and you're so dialed into the community that it's uh, great to finally get to have a discussion with you. Yes, and what a discussion this is going to be. Um, one of the reasons that uh, Blake and I reached out to Nathan to be on this show is that we are still very much in the early days of mass mutation. Um, some of us have had the opportunity to play some games. Uh, Blake and I have had the opportunity to play like a couple of games, like quite a few games, I think, probably since the set mm -hmm. launched and since it made it online. But I don't know that there's anybody in the world who has played as many games of mass mutation Keyforge as Nathan. Would you say that's a fair statement, Nathan? That's pretty close to fair. I hate speaking in like absolutes because as soon as you make a statement like that, you're like immediately proven wrong. Um, but uh, but Justin and I have played a bunch. Uh, we've definitely played the most in person and had it recorded and then also put on the internet. So I will say that uh, confidently. I think that's probably a fair assumption. So mm -hmm. given that, the fact that you are an absolute Keyforge warrior, a person who has been streaming the game, playing the game, talking about the game, playing RL, winning tournaments, day twoing all kinds of vault tours and other events all over the place. You're, you're a, a literal Keyforge expert in my estimation, and we wanted to have you on to talk a little bit about Mass Mutation as a set. Are you ready for this conversation? Yes. Yes, I am. All right. Excellent. So given that it's still a relatively new set and we're starting to sort of see some of the uh, various, uh, I guess, traits of the set start to emerge, different things that we, I think we're going to always associate with Mass Mutation when we look back on it in the future. Can you tell us a little bit about what your first impressions of the set are? So when Justin and I first cracked into the set, um, we didn't really didn't quite know what to expect. Um, I do think the set is very deceptive when you're looking at the spoiler. There's a lot of cards in the, the initial um, estimation that don't look particularly good, but when you actually get into the game and you start playing around with them, they perform a lot better. Um, I think a notable exception for that is uh, Keyfrog. I thought Keyfrog was going to be kind of like a, a real niche player, and it wasn't ever going to amount to much. There was no way this card could be as good as Choda. Um, but uh, after playing Keyfrog, just playing Keyfrog, just putting Keyfrog onto the table does actually present like several challenges for your opponent. Um, a lot of taxing cards in the game um, increase the cost for your keys during the opponent's next turn. So um, if they play like a tax effect like a Garcia and they kill your key frog and you're at six amber, you forge because your keys are still normal cost during your opponent's turn. So there's a lot of like really neat interactions like that that are very easy to miss on the spoiler. Um, so didn't know where the set was going to go. Um, and as we played it, and we played a couple of decks, we noticed that 
some mass mutation necks are as fast, if not faster, than the vast majority of Coda. And you've got some very slow decks that are very reminiscent of uh, grindy Saurian decks from Worlds Collide, where you stick like four Sanctum guys on the table and your opponent is kind of like shut out from doing a lot of meaningful actions with like a Barrister Joya. And then you reap away and you beat up any creatures that present any kind of threat to you. Um, guys like Gorvanal are like really strangling on um, Amber Control. It like, uh, so, so the, the spectrum of decks that are possible in mass mutations feel a lot wider than previous sets. Yeah, I, I kind of get that that vibe too. Is there's um, it's from my just experience playing. Is the the first thing was that the distribution of cards starts to really give you a, a feel for how sets are going to go. Because when you look at everything as like here's the cards available, it's very different from seeing like how are they actually coming together. What are you seeing more frequently in terms of like like common and uncommon and rare is obviously a thing. But I find like there's the common commons, you know what I mean? Like you seem to see these commons more frequently with houses than others. I don't know if you've had that experience as well. Yeah, signature commons. Um, I would say like the mutants are the, uh, the each of the house mutants, the the hybrid guys are a good mm-hmm. example, right? Like um, the, mm-hmm. I, I would say that the hybrid guys have overperformed from my initial glance at them. I do think like the shadow based ones are slightly weaker though. Just like plopping elusive down on your reap discard draw card um, is pretty useful. Um, So uh, this, for instance, all of its mutants, when they die, you steal one. And this has a thousand ways at commons to sacrifice its own creatures in this set. You know, you've got cinder. So um, implosion, uh, and, and a lot of those signature commons really kind of like dictate how the house plays and feels. And I think they sure. did a really good job with the hybrids reinforcing mechanics they wanted to see um, inside that house. Yeah, I would agree. Let me ask you a question, because you bring up an interesting point here right off the top. Um it's very early in the set. Do you think you have an idea of where each house stands in terms of its power level? Um, I think we were pretty well decided at the end of Worlds Collide that Logos, Saurian, and Star Alliance were all at the top, and then depending on the individual card layout, were probably the, the strongest, with Brobnar, Shadows, uh, and uh, uh, probably Untamed at the bottom. I think that there's been a fairly large shift in the bottom and middle for mass mutation, but I think that one of those three houses I mentioned is still at the top. Nathan, I would be curious where you rank the houses in this set. So I think Logos is the very clear best house in this set. Agreed. Um, yeah. So, and I don't think that's like a controversial statement. It's not a particularly brave statement. It's just if you play some games with some Logos decks in this set, you discover really quickly the power level that the the signature commons logos has. Um, now, as far as the rankings of the other houses, I think it depends on the composition of those, and that's kind of a cowardly answer because that's always the case in Keyforge. Totally but, fine, but honestly, I don't see that much of a difference between the other houses um, it, when you combine them with logos. Mm-hmm. Um, if that makes sense. Now, I do think this this is specifically for mass mutations sealed play, um, be, uh, because you know a large number of the games that I've played with mass mutations have been against other mass mutation decks. Um, I do think a 
a powerful archetype within mass mutations that exists that rivals the power of logos are specifically sanctum and saurian decks when they're paired together by themselves there's not like a lot of cross synergy but um when you start pairing saurian and sanctum together um they can create those stifling board states that i talked about a little bit earlier where um at sanctum especially armor goes a long way in this set because of all the spare damage icons they're sitting <laughs> around so having ways to just absorb a couple of points of damage um is really useful and your guys just kind of stick to the board and and sanctum is larger than the other houses in this set with the exception of Sarian. and um so those two when they're combined i think are a very powerful force um, within mass mutations play now if you if you come if your deck's packing a board wipe of some type you and you time it well against those decks you'll end up with just an absolute windfall of captured amber returned to you and it's oftentimes the opponent can't do anything about it because mass mutations is lacking ways to catch back up if your opponent just generates 30 amber against you and you're playing a mass mutations deck there's very few answers in this set Right. They did take um, away the too much protects and those sort of real yeah, punishing cards, exactly. which is a little bit unfortunate, but it's balanced, I guess, within the set. I think so. So um and this is uh this is not my um I guess theory crafting here. This is uh something that's been floating around the community for a while. I think uh Aurora um put it out there at one point, but decks that are fast enough don't really need amber control. So mm. I think the really fast mass mutation decks only need ways to stop a key once or twice in a game, um, right? Like if you're threatening to win mm. the game on turn seven or eight um, and uh, your opponent is a little bit slower than you, you really only need to be able to stop their last key um, and, uh, and win before they do. So I think that's kind of like one of the theories going into this set maybe maybe why it doesn't have all those catch-up mechanics i think it's an interesting one because on paper um one of the things that every other set has struggled with since the original call of the archon set is catching up with those super bursty call of the archons decks the fact that you know uh so much amber control in that era was stealing you steal to get around that stuff original pre-nerf bait and switch too much to protect other steel mechanics were ways that you could deal with an untamed deck that brought out so much amber whereas now we've transitioned i think much more towards that key taxing that you were talking about or those key denial or key delays we see a couple of them in discs with things like turnkey um and so on and so forth. And I, I think it does present the question of, is there an answer in mass mutation for those OG burst decks? Yeah, and I, I think the taxing is the answer. Um, so there's not a lot, and, and that's why I think Sarian is particularly well positioned to deal with it because of Faust. Faust is a common. I would definitely put oh, Faust yeah. in the, uh, the signature common section. Um, yeah, for sure. And Spoils of Battle is common too. And so if your opponent generates like 12 Amber and you you can play like Citizen Tricks, Faust, Spoils of Battle, um, and you've answered that key. And, um, you know, so the, the thing is a lot of decks are designed to generate 18 to 24 Amber. And when you make your opponent pay an extra two for a key at the right time in the game, if you can make them pay for ex every key 
you're in better shape. And if you make them pay that one time, that's often better than um, uh, uh, something that would happen, in, I would say, in Coda with uh, Lash of Broken Dreams. Rarely did you actually make your opponent pay the nine with Lash of Broken Dreams. You would tax, you would stop the key, and then on the next turn, you'd have to say dis because you didn't have a good dis turn, and then they would just forge the key for six anyway. Um, so I think having static effects like Faust um, or creatures who can just be played right before the opponent plays the key, like Censor uh, uh, Chief Garcia, those those are answers for large amounts of amber. Forcing your opponent to actually pay that amber is the same thing as destroying it. So Yeah, because I think things like Break Key, which if they have more than you, they unforge and get six amber. And if you happen to have something like a Pandemonium and Faust out, you could literally that turn make them, and then you pass to them, and then they're forging all that just for that one key that was unforged. Instead of having that gain, there's I guess there's a lot of potential to do some some interesting taxing things, which we saw start in Worlds Clyde. You really start to to see the the ability of having widespread taxing in multiple houses take effect and change the complexity, or I guess the 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 landscape of of what key control looked like because it was now no you're not we're not going to stop you necessarily from forging we're just going to make it cost you a lot and so it's inefficient to forge a key which is really interesting yeah i i i think i think that was so one of my favorite uh decks that i've played um has uh imprinted mermooks in it right and it Mm -hmm. doesn't have any of the big amber answers in the deck Mm -hmm. um you know it doesn't have an interdimensional graft it doesn't have uh, any of the ways to really um, stop a, a, a ridiculous amount of amber, but it does have three imprinted mermooks. So if you end up in a situation where you force your opponent to pay nine for a key, um, then then like it really cuts into the total amber that they have to, ge- or they, it increases the amount of amber they have to generate to uh, to win the game. And I think uh, in, in, in Mass Mutations, Infernus is still around, right? So you mm-hmm. still have... Infernus, I think, lost a little bit of power level because it's not combined mm-hmm. with Hysteria anymore. Um, but it did get some power from... Uh, the different ways to archive it. I think it's a little bit slower. You don't have that immediate burst of like purging four cards from your opponent's um, the, right. uh, discard pile. But uh, since it's still around, you could still answer a lot of like those really fast cards, like Fertility Chant. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's even really good in this set because Ritual Tognath is a powerhouse. I don't know if you guys have had a chance mm-hmm. to play with that yet or not, but that card that card's crazy. I actually had somebody use uh, Infernus on their own fertility chant and then another card that had two amber pips on it to, to take me off a key in a game today. Like six amber just gone <laughs> like that, which was bonkers. Um, but also just like one of those things that I couldn't even be mad at because it didn't feel unfair, which I think is interesting. He took the risk playing that fertility chant, giving me the extra two amber out of him playing it. And for all he knows, he's going into a game with somebody else who has Infernus and could have turned it on right. him. So I, I think it's a fair one to play while also feeling real bad when it happened to me. (laughs) On that topic, I want to talk about the amount of amber in the game because I think that's one of the things that has struck me the most about every single game that I have played. We're talking about exalting, we're talking about capturing, and we're talking about effects that uh, put amber onto creatures and on the board, uh, on some artifacts in some cases. We're talking about things like uh, the uh, Monument to Shrix and so on and so forth. Um, How have you found, rather, that that affects the way that you play 
play the game because I have gone back and forth between being extremely careless and getting punished for it and being overly cautious and being punished for it. And I'm trying to find where the middle is. Yeah, it's kind of hard to say. I think it really depends on it really depends on the composition of your opponent's deck. Um, I think there are so if you're playing Saurian and your opponent has shadows, I think you got to be careful because there's multiple ways to bounce creatures between like lights out and tempting offer. Um, and tempting offer is one of those cards you initially look at and you're like, oh, this card doesn't seem very good. But then you play against a Saurian or a Sanctum deck and um, you've got creatures like Gorvanal um, or just Saurian in general has a lot of actions that just start putting amber on creatures. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's, I think if you, you, you gotta kind of like, you gotta kind of play around what your opponent could possibly do, I think, to avoid, uh, getting destroyed. Um, and there's a lot of removal in this set. Some of the mass mutation decks that we play, um, are very, very violent. So it's not always a great idea to just load up one creature with like a bunch of amber. Um, I mean, I do think it's interesting that they included exile in this set. So, mm-hmm. um, I, I mean, I think that's it. And honestly, it, it feels like a lot of decks in this set are all combo decks that may take two to three turns to execute the full extent of their combo. But, um, that's, that's why logos feels so good in the set is because it lets you assemble you know, playing a Faust, exalting one of your guys, playing Spoils of Battle, capturing on that guy, that guy captures another one, then playing Exile and giving it to your opponent. And then on the next turn, you play Lights Out and you bounce that creature and you get all that amber, you know? That's the, um, uh, the, 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 I guess the, the hidden strength in Mass Mutations that doesn't really pop out on a deck list when you're, when you're first looking at it. Mm, yeah, for sure. And I guess like I, I haven't gotten a chance to really uh, do a deep dive on any one deck. I'm kind of just playing a bunch right now just to get a feel for how things are. But I am excited to spend that time uh, with a couple decks and really like get those reps in and get a feel for it. Because I think there is going to be a lot more that's that's hidden that will come to the surface as you as you spend some time with a deck in these uh, in this set, which I'm pretty excited for. Yeah. It, um. So. Uh, Justin had always thought of Keyforge as like an heir to deck building games like Dominion or Ascension, mm. any of those. Um, we're, we're, I mean, that was part of the reason why we, we named our channel Tabletop Royale because we didn't know beyond Keyforge what else we might stream. Um, we just really enjoy board games. So when you play Keyforge, it, it has this element of like deck building game to it that I think Mass Mutations has really kind of realized. Um, where you're trying to craft these huge turns. And the, the huge turns in Mass Mutations are, are larger and crazier than anything I've seen in, in the game so far, with the exception of like Martian Generosity or uh, pre-nerf lands combos, where you're just, you're just drawing your whole deck and then over the next couple turns playing these absurd a number of cards. But it feels like, I, I, f- I feel like a good one in four mass mutation decks are pretty close to being able to do that without um, Martian generosity or uh, library access. So with that being said, it, do you kind of think that, you know, the age, the age old saying in Keyforge is, is play out as many cards as you can and cycle faster that in mass mutations, you may want to take a beat. 
because holding something and playing a slightly less efficient turn could actually lead to an exponentially better turn uh, down the line. Well, yeah, and that's why that's why Logos is so powerful in this set with the the, the disgusting amount of archiving that it can do. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, if you're looking for a free tidbit um, for playing against mass mutations, I do think a card that was not reprinted in this set, which would do an amazing amount of work against it, is Dysania. Yes. Um, go back and take a look at your Dysania decks. Um, Dysania's stock is like through the roof at this point, I'd say. But um, yeah, uh, yeah L- Logos and Auto Encoder um, uh, particularly are very... And if you're lucky enough to have an archivist in a functioning Logos deck, I, I have seen the, uh, the, the, the funeral march of archivist <laughs> decks where there's no way to actually like archive them. So if, you, if you're playing those decks, you can just set up these massive turns. One of my favorite cards in this set is Dark Harbinger. But you really need oh, like yeah. three actions for Dark Harbinger to get like silly, to get absurd. Hopefully one of them Song of the Wild. Yeah, exactly. And that that goes back to um, Scuzzy's point about like the amount of amber that you can generate. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the other night when we were playing on stream, we had a game where I think both players forged a key like on their turn two. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like this pile of amber was generated really quickly. And then we spent the next like six turns <laughs> trying to set up anything. And then there was just like this flurry of amber and the game ended. Um, and, uh, it was just one of those where it was just like, it it was like, you got like whiplash from it because there's like these, these huge moments of just piles of Amber coming out, um, on those combo turns that you were able to like assemble. And, uh, but then you go back to like stalling and trying to set up another powerful turn because a lot of times if you, if you look at your hand and it's like three creatures, and you're gonna say you're just gonna take your turn and play those three creatures like that. That's a bad mass mutations turn, right? Um, unless you're sanctum uh, most of the time, but like you, you're not you're not like doing the powerful things that you need to win the game um, with this set unless you're taking those huge haymaker turns. And I guess you yeah. also have the possibility of because there's these enhancement creatures which are doling out enhancements. A lot of them don't do anything other than. Right. have a power associated with them when you play them so you're getting these cards i guess that don't matter and i guess that's also why auto encoder becomes such a great card yeah it gives you an outlet for them and mm-hmm. um i mean i do think i do think there are there's some there's some cards so like even those even those guys in the in the in the right deck since they're all mutants um right. those creatures stock goes up in certain decks especially if you have like a vault's blessing you know, something that really rewards yeah. you for having those mutants. Professor Torado is another example mm. where you're where discarding those mutant creatures is sometimes a bad idea, but you also have to be careful for like how many mutants your opponent may have. Because like if you give your opponent a chance um, to use Professor Torado first, it's gonna feel pretty bad when they get to reap with all their creatures and they get to draw. Um, so yeah. What do you think of the complexity of the game? Because I've had some turns in Mass Mutation that I feel like even at the absolute like most complex of the other sets, like they, they had nothing on these Mass Mutation turns. And it was because there were so many destroyed triggers, so many capture yeah. triggers, so many passive effect triggers that sometimes like you would do play a card and it would take two or three like like, you know, 
other cards effects before I could do my next thing in my turn. And it made actually thinking about my turns feel incredibly difficult sometimes. Uh, so you're talking about Curiosaurus then? <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Which yes. I like. I like Curiosaurus because it changes the game in some interesting ways. Yeah, I, I do think I do think Curiosaurus, uh, and I think it's a skill testing card, right? Because um, wh- one thing I'll say for Mass Mutations um, that I think is a positive thing is it does seem like there's a lot of interest in the game. Right, coming from new players or coming from returning players, people that may have um, uh, churned on the game at some point, and they're coming back. And I was I'm like a Reddit, especially. I feel like there's a post on Reddit every day about Curiosaurus, um, <laughs> and, uh, and that's the kind of card. I don't. I think it's. I think it's the hallmark of an overly complex card when a when a player, especially a new player, reads it and they don't understand what it does. Um, and Curiosaurus, like let's let's a Curiosaurus with a board wipe, right? Like that that is a really complex game state at that point um, because you have to know that the creatures that are dying that have amber on them can give it to creatures that don't have amber on them, and those creatures now do not gain the destroyed effect. You know, and it's one of those things. It's like as you're explaining the rules to a new person, it sounds like you're cheating. <laughs> and I think that is that is like not a good situation to be in. No. Um, so now I I think overall, mass mutations is probably a step back in complexity, maybe a half step back in complexity from worlds collide, um, because I think the average worlds collide creature had way more text than um, the the cards in mass mutations i mean just like take a look at star alliance for instance right your star alliance cards in mass mutations are very straightforward right but your star alliance cards in worlds collide they all had play fight reap effects right and so there's a million effects going on um uh one of the one of the games that i played in worlds collide um that uh it was it was at a vault tour um, I was playing against the guy who went on to win the PAX Vault Tour. And there were two judges watching our game. And there were so many static effects on the board <laughs> that anytime either player made a mistake, like anytime the player went to do something, we missed something. And then one judge would catch something and the other judge would have to correct it and catch like a third thing, right? And that's like that's just a horrifically confusing board state to be in. Cards like Ragwarg. Um, I, oh, yeah. I I th- I think there's a lot of uh, the term for it in Magic are French vanilla um, cards, and the idea is that it's something that in play serves as a vanilla card. Doesn't really have a whole lot of text. All the mutants that enhance are that way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in play, they don't really do anything. They've already had their effect. Um, cards like Subtle Auto. You play him, you discard a card from your opponent's hand. Um, so I think there's a lot of French vanilla creatures in Mass Mutations that are basically just bodies with a power attached to them um, that do serve to make the set less complicated than, say, Worlds Collide. But I do think it is complicated um, in a lot of situations, and uh, I think, but I think the recent rules update has kind of straightened out a lot of that. Um, I, I hate telling people that they need like a comp, like to memorize a comprehensive set of rules to play a game. Um, 
and and to like know how the interactions are supposed supposed to work. So I don't really know if that's like a a great place to be for the game. But I don't think that it is quite as bad as Worlds Collide was. Mm, fair. Now, um, you mentioned that uh, you have gotten to play Mass Mutation against the previous sets that have come before it. And what has been your experience that you've done now that you've jammed a few of those? Like, what have you? What are you starting to glean from from those games? So it seems like Mass Mutation's weakness are going to be faster decks. Um, if we take a look at like the the overall life cycle of the meta for Keyforge, um, originally you had rush decks with like a you know a decent amount of stealing in them. Those were the most powerful decks just because they were constantly threatening to win. And then when AOA came out, AOA didn't necessarily have the tools to stop that from working. But when Worlds Collide came out, it had enough tools to slow down those rush decks. And so that actually brought AOA back into the mix of things because now, since the the, the meta overall is slower, um, you know, AOA now has a chance because um, there's a lot of cards in AOA that, that match up fairly well against Worlds Collide. Now, with Mass Mutations, the decks that I've seen that I think are going to be most Archon-worthy are back to being Rush decks. So um, it does make me wonder what that is going to do for the meta. Um, I, I think we're still too early to really tell. Uh, who knows if there will be an Archon Vault Tour um, thanks to COVID in the time of Mass Mutations. We may have another set, um, right? So it may be one of those things we, we may never actually know. Um, outside mm. of some online tournaments on like the Crucible, uh, those might be the only ways that we we see how mass mutation shakes out in the meta. But it does seem like the best mass mutation decks are really fast, and they can they can win or threaten to win before other decks that take a little bit of setup um, really really get going. I can't tell if it's just because I'm excited to be playing Keyforge with a like a new set that I don't like totally understand yet or what, but I feel like this is just one of the funnest sets. And I might have felt that way at the beginning of every single set, but for some reason this one just feels extremely rewarding. Every deck, like every deck that I've played, none of them have come across to me as this is terrible and I'm never going to touch it again. Everyone, even the ones I understand as being non-competitive or you know, objectively not great, still did fun things. And I think that's kind of a tribute to the design of Mass Mutation. Do you guys have like a counter to that or would you feel similarly? I feel similarly. Um, And Justin and I talked about this uh, at one point. And I think part of the reason is that every house has something unique that you can pull, right? There's all, all those special rarity cards they're all over mass mutations. Um, and so when you're cracking a deck, you're looking for the sins. You're looking for big guys. You're looking for, you know, Silo and Charybdis. You're looking for a leader. You're looking for Z-Force agent. You know, there's just um, Dark mm-hmm. Harbinger. You know, um, you're looking for cool Mavericks. You're looking for legacies. You know, there's just so much that you can open in a in a deck in this in your enhancements, right? Like just the sheer, the sheer number of, of, uh, cards that get better, get way better when they get enhanced, mm. like Qmex and rad pennies. Um, mm-hmm. uh, one of the decks I was playing the other day, uh, has a double doom, um, which I think is one of the better cards in the set. Um, from this, it's just super disruptive. It was triple enhanced with capture icons on it, right? Like how <laughs> negative it's it's a tribute. It's a tribute that also bounces a card and discards a card from their hand, you know. So it's it's stuff like that where where like um, 
you're opening decks and just trying, you know, um, it, it feels like uh, old, old school CCG, like middle school, high school right. levels. You don't have, you don't have infinite resources um, and you get to play with what you want. And the Keyforge has always been good about giving you something special and unique. And this set feels even more special and even more unique. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Yeah, I've I've noticed that too. Like you're you're wondering where the enhancements are, and then you're just like, like, whoa, this is this too. This this card just became so much more interesting and and fun to play, and your opponent's not going to suspect that. And and that's one thing I've always wondered is like, as as a competitive player, is your knowledge of understanding okay, these cards provide these enhancements, so therefore there's a probability that any of these could do this extra thing. Like, do you have to have that extra level of knowledge now when we go into competitive play with this? Like, what do you think? Uh, I think it's going to be difficult, right? Like, I think mm-hmm. uh, I so um, some of my favorite card games in the past had an element of knowledge about what could be in your opponent's deck um, in competitive play. Um, so if you see a card that has like a draw icon enhancement on it and my opponent does not have logos in their deck, then that means, and they have like uh, Untamed and Star Alliance. I don't know if it's like a Star Alliance or if it's like Resurgence that gave them that card, right? right? But it does give me an idea of some things to play around. Um, so especially in like a sealed setting, um, I think like when you start seeing icons, you can start looking for, you can start like calculating, um, you know, your opponent discards a mute, a play, discards or plays a mutant cut purse. You know damage is coming. So you might want to try to time your ward card um, until um, the, the they've played a lot of their damage pips. Um, I, I still think it's too early really to tell from a, from a competitive standpoint um, to know if you care where some enhancements land. A lot of times I really don't care where a card draw enhancement lands because there's not anything I can do about it. There's no playing around my opponent just drawing one random card during their turn. Right. right? Um, whereas a card like Auto Encoder, if my opponent's got like six or seven cards in their archives, I kind of need to <laughs> hang on to a board wipe because if they take a turn and they play eight creatures, um, that's a little bit more obvious about like the, the state, like I got to be more cognizant um, about what's going to happen in that situation than my opponent, you know, drawing a random card, maybe gaining an extra amber here or there. Mm-hmm. We can't end an episode of Help from Future Self without the titular segment Help, Help from, future, from self. future Self. Nathan, you're the guest on this episode. Is there a lesson that you would like to impart to our listeners? A little help from their future self or your future self to them as players? Yeah, so for mass mutations, I definitely think the advice I would give everybody, and I mean veteran players, new players, everyone, anybody in between, um, is to play your mass mutation decks before you cast judgment on them. Um, I see an, another uh, thing that I read on Reddit, it feels like almost every other day, is somebody talking about how their mass mutation deck only has like a SAS score of like 62. And um, SAS just isn't equipped for this set. So, in cards play so much better in mass mutations than they read, which I think is a really deceptive thing. Um, you you just you get into a game, you start playing around with some cards, and there, there's a lot of cards that will surprise you in this set. 
Sage, sage advice. All right, we got to get out of here. You can find us on Twitter at HFFS Podcast. You can find me as Scuzzy Gruen on Twitter, on Instagram, and on The Crucible. Where can they find you, Blake? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Boulevard Paper Fight. That's BLVD Paper Fight. And every Tuesday night streaming on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Boulevard Blake. That's BLVD Blake. And Nathan, where can folks find you and Tabletop Royale online? Uh, Tabletop Royale streams on Twitch. We stream Sunday, Monday, Wednesdays. Uh, we'll occasionally throw in a bonus stream. Uh, you can hop in our Discord. You can find the information for our Discord uh, at our Twitch channel, which is uh, twitch.tv slash Tabletop Royale. Terrific. Wonderful to have you on the show. Do you think there's a possibility we might see you around these parts again? Uh, yeah, I am a uh, mercenary, and I, <laughs> I, I I am a rodin. I travel from village to village uh, solving problems wherever they may be. <laughs> All right, we're going to get out of here. Until next time, stay focused.